Hello and welcome to Outside Inside Radio. I'm your host, Kathy Foley-Meyer, and I'm very excited to be here this morning with Emily Silver, who is an artist and art professor and director of the Pete and Susan Barrett Gallery at Santa Monica College. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's been quite an adventure to, (laughs) to actually have this conversation. So glad to finally do it. I first met you at the Prison Arts Collective alumni panel and workshop held at the gallery back in February. And I was curious, you know, I attended and participated. And so I was interested in like your takeaways from the workshop, how it was for you as an artist to go through the process and kind of see healing art in action and its results. Yeah, that panel was amazing. First of all, I feel so lucky to have been present during that. I didn't actually know what to expect. Like when Annie and I were planning all the events and kind of sessions that were going to happen in and around the space, that one was super powerful, not just for me, but for my students, like to see the way art can transform in a space with people coming together and especially the alumni from the program hosting it as well. Like it's felt like this kind of beautiful circular way of sharing and healing and passing on information to strangers and to friends, right, at the same time. So it was super collaborative and and really powerful. I want to do it again, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll explain for our audience. The panel included people who were formerly incarcerated, actually leading the audience in a series of exercises, writing exercises, drawing exercises, and other exercises. And there there was a lot of love in the room, a lot of support, but also the experiences they have contain a lot of trauma. So, and I imagine that people in the audience have their own experiences of trauma. So you're sort of processing everything together, but also you're into your own thing at the same time. And it can be a lot. How did your students take to it? They loved it. And, you know, it was, if we think about the timing too, it was February and school, we'd just come back on ground after COVID. Right. Still really in COVID, but the I think we were at maybe 20% on campus again. Like it wasn't like a lot, a huge population or footprint on campus yet. So this was the first time we were gathering indoors as a group as well. So it was like very, it felt very loaded, you know, like right. kind of like a very loaded environment, but also a very tender environment. It felt like um, folks needed this more than we even anticipated. Yeah. Um, so the students felt really inspired. I think, especially in a city college, part of my goal through the gallery of hosting exhibitions that are student-centered and social and restorative justice focused is to show them that there are so many facets to a career in art, right? That it doesn't just have to be within a cube, right? Right. It kind of vibrates outside into society. And what better way to come back from COVID, I thought, than with Prison Art Collective to talk about these kind of big topics. So the students still talk about it. Some students really want to work, know that that's the path they want to go down now. I have some students applying to be art therapists, some students who want to volunteer and work with Prison Art Collective as well. So I think it gave them permission to use art as a restorative tool, which is an interesting thing because in art school, some of that system is anti that work, right? Yes. want to talk about trauma. They don't want to be your therapist, quote unquote. They don't want you to talk about that stuff. Right. It's a professional practice. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I think the narrative is shifting now, but um, 
especially like right now, it feels like that big shift is happening. So I think it was a really powerful moment. I know a professor walked up to me after an art history and said that was the most powerful workshop he's ever been to at the college. Yeah. Wow. We were also in the gallery with the artwork that was being featured in the exhibition. Not all of it, but I think most of it had been installed. So, you know, you walked around and you looked at it. They were all powerful pieces, just kind of kept reverberating. But uh, no, I remember having that conflict myself because the art world is presented as this kind of mysterious city on a hill type of thing that you have to attain. And if that's not your path, you're sometimes made to feel you shouldn't be in it or it's not the place for you. Social justice art is also kind of trendy. So there's always a move because we live in a capitalist society to try to turn that into something profitable. So there's all sorts of threads out there. And it's good that, you know, your students have you to kind of light the way. It is like a sense of dodgeball. Sometimes you're like, not sure, like what you have to kind of weave through these old systems and narratives that are in and around the art world, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey as an artist, how you started and because I know you do other things too. You curate a series out in the desert and things like that. Yeah, I I mean, I've had a really, it feels like a very crooked path through everything. I don't know. Is there really a straight art path? I think that other people seem to have a straighter path, but I don't know if that's true. Grass is always greener. It just looks that way. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I started making art when I was really young. I think a lot of people say that, Um, but it's true. Since I was really little, I had gone through quite a lot as a youth, and that was my one thing that I had that got me through everything. Are you Californian? I'm from New York originally. Ah, okay. Yeah. And so I just always knew that's the only thing I could and wanted to do. It was the only place I felt heard and seen. And the only you know spaces for me that felt safe when I was in school were only in my art classes. So I think that as an adult now and as a professor, I'm trying to hold that same space for my students. And which is why I want to be in a city college as well as a space that is an in-between space for a lot of folks. And in a big city like this too, there's not always an easy place to find room that you feel heard, seen, and safer. So my journey has been, I have a studio, I go in there alone, I make my work, I try and show, I do the things. Community is really important to me. I think I've been rejected by so many things, you know, the applications, the jobs, all the things, you know how it goes. (laughs) Yes, I do. So I know that at one point I thought, well, what's the point of trying to always do all these opportunities that are presented? Why don't I make other opportunities for folks? In like 2016, I started a podcast um, in the desert where I was living and I was interviewing artists in their studios and I just wanted to start an archive of artists making work. And that turned into out of accidentally me curating a show at artist Eileen Schmelt's house. She has a project called Outpost Projects. And I didn't think anyone would show up and like 200 people showed up for the opening. And I was like, whoa, okay. So people are listening. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole art culture world out in the desert, actually, that is yeah. thriving and totally thriving now. And I, you know, and that was eight years ago that I started it. So I, I didn't, I don't know, I just did, I thought like people in the show would come. It was massively well attended, which then turned into me opening a gallery with my really good friend, Stephanie Di Gregorio. Her and I lived, went to art school in New York together and then lived in the desert. And that space was a community space for local artists. And it was really fun. It's a lot of work. Yes. 
a lot of work. And I opened a yoga studio as well. And that was uh, really where my activism landed. And I nestled all of that work there. We did a lot of community practices. We did a lot of fundraising. We did all sorts of workshops and outreach through the yoga studio. And now I've since left the desert and I'm full time at Santa Monica College. And I've now found this beautiful way of weaving all of the things into one place, which for me is giving me a lot of joy and also like a little bit more sanity that everything is in one room, you know? Yeah. Because I think as artists, we often split ourselves physically a lot. And that becomes like a norm to kind of have yourself scattered in all these different directions. But it's a relief when you can kind of pull it together and be in one space. And I was interested in something you said about the in-between spaces for your students. And I've also taught briefly and in the university system. And some of my students were from community colleges before they transferred into the UC system. And I found that actually those in-between spaces are often in some ways more vibrant and they're able to focus more on sort of the love of whatever the topic and the subject is. Mm -hmm. So there's actually those in-between spaces tend to be looked on as transitional spaces. They're things you pass through, but they're not the real thing. But actually those in-between spaces are vital, you know, and I feel like artists almost always occupy those in-between spaces, not only, you know, in terms of teaching, but also in society. And that's where the sort of healing activism part comes. Have you always thought of yourself as an activist or is it was it just with the yoga practice and studio? I've always had this part of me and done a lot of activism outside of connecting it to my art, right? Like just right. In, my, in my life. I think that there's been a lot of empowerment for me as a woman, especially like in the past 10 years to feel like it's okay to stand up and be loud and take up space. You know, that's been a a big thing. And it's more important to, for me now to be to be an ally than anything. I want to lead by example for my students. You know, I'm I've really committed to that. Like, even if I'm not the greatest at it at all times, or I slip up or, you know, like allowing folks to call me in, right. And, right. and to keep doing the work, it's hard. And it's not, it's not easy by any means. And I think living out in the desert really pushed me further in that direction to really start to stand up and get louder with things and be more involved. There's a very big divide out there. And what's the divide? You know, we were out there during the pandemic and during mm-hmm. the election and seeing this really massive Trump supporting space that really hard to yeah live through. And, you know, there were local businesses that we were getting that anyone that had women or people of color working for them had KKK newspapers put under our doors. So it's like, yeah, yeah. And I think I should explain for our audience that's not familiar with desert culture. There are a lot of artists in the desert. There's also, at least in 29 Palms, a marine base there. So you have this mix of military culture. You also have the people that have moved to the desert because they don't want to be around other people. <laughs> so so there's that. And then, so it's this kind of flowering thing, but also it could be slightly repressive. Yeah. So it was a very interesting dynamic to just kind of be there doing this work. And so for the people that were harassed, you guys were kind of a saving grace for yeah, it's very much alive there. And the amount of lawn ornaments that went out for Trump out there was amazing. But there are also Black Lives Matter signs I noticed along 
that main road that you take into town into like 29 Palms, there was the last time I was there, a huge Black Lives Matter sign. Yeah, on the right hand side. And then on the left hand side, they put up an All Lives Matter sign, you know, so there was that all the time. So there was always that kind of pushback and a very loud pushback. You know, we protested quite a bit for two years and there were, you can imagine the people driving by and the hand signals they're giving us or, but that just fueled me to just want to do it more. And, you know, my positionality as a white woman, like to be able to use my position to create and help and hold safe spaces when I, I, it's possible, right? If I can. And so, especially out there, it felt necessary so that's where I think I, my fire became like a torch for activism. Going back to the transitional space of a, a city college, when I came on as director, I knew of the gallery space. I knew that I had a moment and an opportunity to use this space as a student-centered contemporary art space that is focused on social and restorative justice that highlights and reflects who the students are, right? And so- right talking about equitable spaces and safe spaces, then we think about the population of our city students are, are black and brown students, right? They need a space to be seen and heard, right? And and so that's been my goal through being a director at the, at the gallery. Yeah, I wanted to ask about your current exhibition and your future. Yeah. So I would say that the, the Prison Art Collective show was the first kickoff of, I mean, that was the first show I did as director. And it was mm-hmm. unbelievable for those that missed it. I saw it right before all the stuff had been installed. So I saw a lot of it, just not all of it. Yeah. So the goal for me is that each show, I think of them as a living, breathing exhibition. So throughout the show, it changes. So there's something like activations that happen that are student reflections, or there are community panels, or there are workshops like alumni that came from Prison Art Collective, and or Cole James is a professor at Otis, and also they teach with us at SMC occasionally, and they came and did a workshop on empathy through design with our students. So I actually met Cole. I yeah. Yeah. Cole's amazing. So through that, we started to develop a pilot program for gallery and museum studies. So students could really own the gallery in a sense, like they could be part of the curatorial process and the workshops and panels. So we created an artist in residency program this year with an indigenous photographer named Matika Wilbur. Her and I started talking a year ago and planning it out. And she started last May with our students. So right after the Prison Art Collective show, she was in town and the students curated the entire exhibition. And she's writing a book that comes out in April around this show called Project 562, Changing the Way We See um, Native America. And Matika, through this exhibition, we've been discussing indigeneity and what it means to be indigenous and using the gallery as a center point for the college and the community to have conversations. And it's the first time ever that we've had a full campus collaboration, I would say. Like it's been unbelievable. All the departments are incorporating the show within their their curriculum. This has been a goal of mine. Like if we're gonna make systemic change, right, especially in higher ed, then we need to have really difficult conversations and we need to change our pedagogy. And yeah. what a better way to do it than through art. It feels like we're not pushing or forcing anything. We're asking questions. We're having we're being curious 
together. It's been unbelievable. I mean, we've had we had over 500 people attend her keynote speech in October and her reception. She's been documenting Indigenous folks across the country for the past 10 years and sharing their stories. She gives her subjects agency. They decide their story that they're going to tell. They decide how they're going to be photographed, where they're going to be photographed. And that relationship between the artist and the subject matter is so unique as well. And the students have gone on photo shoots with her. They've learned about the land they live on and Tongva and Chumash. Which is something we say all the time in academia. You know, you start the Zoom and we give tribute. But after a while, it started to feel sort of performative and not. So that's what's exciting about what you're doing is that it connects it to the real. Yeah. And that's a conversation Matika and I had at the beginning. I, you know, I don't want this to be performative. I want my students to feel invested in seeing that they can make change in this world if they want to, if they want to go down this path. We discuss the things the schools need to do to not just be giving performative land acknowledgements. And one of that is supporting our Indigenous students. And so We're hosting a film festival that opens next week, and the proceeds for that are going to an Indigenous student scholarship fund that we opened. You know, we haven't even advertised it, and we already had like $12,000 pledged to it. It was amazing. So yeah, so we have a scholarship program happening. We There's the colleges bringing in an Indigenous scholar to help us build curriculum around Indigenous studies. Mm -hmm. The change is happening already with her exhibition and she's been with us for, you know, eight months, six months. So excited to see what happens as her residency comes to May. Right. We're going to be taking the exhibition and the students to NCOR this year. We were invited. Explain a little bit about what that is. It's the National Conference on Race and um, Ethnicity, and it happens every year. This year, I believe it's in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and it's for higher ed primarily. And there's lots of panels and amazing discussions around race and in education and and systemic making change. And so our students are going to go and talk about their experience and the work they curated and the shifts they've made and and the curriculum changes that have happened that the college has made. Yeah. Actually, this morning, like right before this, we're building this massive learning guide around all the areas of interest in the college. And so I'm just design doing the layout right now. It's taken us like five months, but it's it's almost there. That's awesome because you're not only enacting change with the exhibitions in your gallery, it's the training you're giving to your students to occupy museum, you know, the art world spaces in the future. Because, you know, during the pandemic, there was a push, oh, we have to, and it was kind of a top-down thing, you know, we have to hire more people of color into museums, which is true. You know, you do need to do that. But it's also people who are coming up through the ranks. Got to be diversity there. And they have to know that they can own those spaces and belong in those spaces and function in those spaces. And that's part of the work that you're doing, which is amazing. And it's part of that transitional space, right? Like I only have them for maybe two years. I don't have them for four and, and they're not staying. They're just here for a little while. And so if we can capture them for this tiny moment and give them permission to own their education, to say, this isn't enough, I want more, it's not serving me. If those tools can come out of this, then I think that like they'll move on to their next space prepared to, to demand the things they need to, to feel seen, to make change, to show up in those 
roles that they're not represented in. So kudos to you for all of that. So I'm going to ask you a question that we always ask our artists. What advice you would have for someone who's inside who has like creative impulses, but isn't really sure how to bring them out, how to get on that healing path that art can take you on? You know, I encounter a lot of students who have a fear of starting creative processes because there's an old narrative about things that have to be good or bad, you know. And what it's supposed to look like when you start on that process. Yeah. And it's never those things, right? It's like, it's tough to show up and get started and put something down and out of you, like get it out of you, whether that's through writing or through drawing or through breath work. I think that follow the feeling instead of the idea, right? Like it's- right. We can overthink ourselves out of everything. We will get nothing done, you know? Especially for people who are marginalized because there's that double consciousness you have of how it looks on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so you sometimes try to change yourself to shape that instead of just going with the feeling. So, well, thank you, Emily. It has been lovely talking with you. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do this. Sorry, it took us almost a year to do it. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. And I want to thank you and wish you the best of luck functioning in those in-between spaces. And I'll definitely come down to the gallery and check them out. Thanks again. All right, Kathy, I'll see you soon. Take care. You've been listening to an episode of Outside Inside Radio, brought to you by the Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. We are based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at Cal Poly Humboldt and at three CSU campuses, San Bernardino, Fresno, and Fullerton. Prison Arts Collective is a project of California Arts and Corrections, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Outside Inside Radio.